Welcome to the Modern Mommy Dog Podcast. I'm Dr. Whitney Caceres. I'm a full-time pediatrician and a full-time modern mom. I speak and write about equipping mamas to raise resilient, healthy children and to invest in their own social-emotional health along the way. Each week, we'll give you the practical tools you need to win at parenting without losing yourself. Hey, Dr. Muth, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate you being on the podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Of course. So let's start out. Tell us your story. What do you do? Who are you? Why are you so passionate about the work that you do? Yeah. So I'm a pediatrician and a registered dietitian. So I practice primary care pediatrics in Carlsbad, California, where I am a general pediatrician, but I also run a healthy weight nutrition clinic. Um, helping kids and their families who maybe are struggling with obesity or other related kind of health conditions and families and kids who have various different nutrition concerns or issues. So things like picky eating come up often in my clinic as well as just general nutrition questions and things like obesity, as I mentioned, prediabetes, stuff like that. I'm really passionate about the work I do. And I decided to do nutrition and pediatrics as kind of my training and in my practice, because I really believe a lot in prevention, first of all. And I know that healthy nutrition and physical activity from the youngest ages and kind of on a family level makes a huge difference in just the overall quality of life that we all have, both for kids as well as as we get older and and our adults. And I also just love kids and working with families a lot and really the opportunity to help be a support and kind of a teammate with parents as they're as they're raising their children. Definitely. And weight and obesity and eating are all such hot topics now, but also touchy subjects for families. So I'm going to go off script a little bit. I have, I have questions that I want to ask you, but I want to ask first and foremost, how do you approach families with the sensitivity that they need in this area, because I think it can be so, so touchy for families. Yeah, it can, it, it really requires a lot of sensitivity. I think part of my background, so as a child myself, I struggled with overweight and my family has struggled with it. And I experienced like many kids who struggle with their weight, things like weight-based bullying and people saying things that were really very well-meaning, but felt very harmful And one of the most critical things I think we can do as pediatricians, we can do as parents, and helping kids who may be struggling with weight-related concerns is being supportive and really looking at strengths and assets and listening and really getting a sense of where a family's coming from, what they hope to accomplish, not assuming anything, really, and not lecturing or blaming or anything like that, but really just being open and and listening and then going from where a family is at and where they desire to be and helping them kind of as a coach to get there. I, I think when we treat it that way and really look at strengths, then we get a lot further and it's a positive experience and kids and families like to talk to us and, we, and we're helpful rather than harmful, which is often the case when we take an approach that really isn't sensitive and is more blaming or lecturing. Yeah, for sure. And one of your major missions is to help families be fit 
together, to eat well and to move their bodies together. How does this play out in your own family? What do you guys do? Yes, I think family level changes and family level engagement is the key to the whole operation. We shouldn't expect our kids to do anything that we're not willing to do ourselves. And we shouldn't expect one child to do something that we wouldn't expect maybe another child to do. This often comes up with eating if there's a child that has increased weight and the other kids don't. To not let that kid have dessert, but then the other kids can. No, let's not do it that way. Let's Uh do it all together. So... One of the things that I think if you want to just boil it down to like a very specific thing to do that's a priority at my house, and I really would say if there's one thing that families can do to really help set their kids off on the right course and have a strong relationship, I think it's eating family dinners together. Yes. Because we know that kids who eat dinners together with their parents, and it doesn't have to be both parents all the time. It doesn't have to even be a parent necessarily, whoever's living in the home, but just like sitting down at the table on a regular basis without screens and without distractions and eating a meal together. Those kids will be healthier. They eat better food. They have stronger relationship with their parents. When they get to be teenagers, they're less likely to engage in risk-taking behaviors. And it has to be as often as you can, but ideally at least three times a week or more at my family, we do it almost seven days a week, really. And if the schedules change where someone's doing sports or working late, we try to adjust dinner times as we can, understanding that you know things come up. But number one, I think it's expecting the kids to do the same thing as the adult, uh, expecting the adults to do the same things as the kids as far as eating healthfully and being active mm-hmm. and then having those meals. And then we also just build in time for activity either together or separately, but just making sure that some type of physical activity is part of our everyday and having structured times for bedtime, for example, and a bedtime routine and and limitations to screen times. It's really building a plan. Not every family needs to do everything the same way, of course, but it's really kind of working together to find routines that will work well for the family and ideally incorporating family meals together as often as you can. And this is part of your family fit plan that you talk about in the book, in your book. I, I 100% agree with you. And I think one of the major things that I have found when I talk with families in my clinic and when I think about my own family is when things are simple in my family, when we can pare it down, that's when I'm able to concentrate on that structure and having consistency. And it's when we get pulled in too many directions and our calendar looks like way too busy that we struggle with that. And so my big encouragement to mamas is always, what do you need to take off your plate that's an extra thing to get back to the core things that really matter, like being able to have a family dinner or a family breakfast. I know some families that, I mean, it doesn't matter what the meal is. It doesn't matter what the meal is. Family breakfast, family lunch. And then what do you need to take off your plate to be able to be active together in a fun way that doesn't feel like it's torture for everybody, but actually builds builds a relationship with your child. Is that fair? Yeah, precisely. And speaking of activity, I mean, one of the things to that can be helpful that I do with my kids a lot, we do as a family, is something called the seven-minute workout. And you can just go get an app that has it. There's a ton of them. It's based on scientific evidence. It only takes seven minutes. You don't need equipment. Even the youngest kids can really do it. And it's really fun. And it's been scientifically proven to actually improve your cardiovascular endurance as well as muscular strength and endurance. So it's a fun thing in a, you know, time-strapped families, which is, you know, who isn't, yeah. to be able to, to, to be active together and really see the benefit to it as well. Mm-hmm. 
I think one thing too, my oldest child is really anxious. And so she has a harder time in group-based activity things or sports-based activity things or has in the past. She's getting better, but it's always been hard. And so sometimes that's made it so that we've limited the things that we've signed up for that have then been more soccer basketball or that type of thing. And what I found for her is looking at her individual temperament and her individual needs, she really likes to go running. And Mm -hmm. so she and I would sign up for those little 1K Saturday morning things and do those things together. And then when they didn't have them, I realized I could do my own fake 1K obstacle course around the neighborhood and just run with her. Okay, we're going to time ourselves from here to here and then we're going to stop and then time ourselves from here to here and then stop. So I don't want people to feel like this has to be some gym membership they get or they have to sign up for an expensive class. This could be really, really simple, like you're saying. Really, really simple. And as you're saying, like fun for whoever has to do it, whether it's the kids or yourself, you know, Mm want to make this something that's enjoyable and it doesn't have to be a drag and it doesn't have to be something hanging over your head that you maybe don't want to do, but then you feel guilty when you don't do it. No, let's figure out what we enjoy doing, what the kids kind of like to do, and then go from there and really have a good time doing it. Definitely. Do you think, going back to the food thing and to the the family dinners or family lunches, do you feel like most families are eating less healthily than they think they are? They have a false sense of how healthily they're eating. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. A few things around that. So yeah, one of the things that we talk about a lot in my well clinic is my plate, which you may or, Mm -hmm. or may not be familiar with, but it's the government kind of recommendations on healthy eating, but generally has half of a plate being filled with fruits and vegetables. And then about a quarter is some type of protein, a quarter, some type of carbohydrate, and then maybe there's some dairy or something on the side. When we talk about this, you know, most people are getting more than enough protein, carbs, the vegetables and fruit thing, you know, fruit, sometimes the vegetable thing, not so much, and don't really realize it until you start to kind of look at your, you know, dinner plate on a regular basis or kind of do a little one day food diary and just see kind of what you've been eating to realize, eh, maybe not so much the vegetables. And of course, you know, a lot of kids tend to refuse vegetables, but it's really about the offering of it and showing kind of that balanced plate, which will help the kids to come along. And most of the time, if the food is, becomes very familiar, it's in front of us a lot, smelling it a bit, seeing our family members eating it, we start to be more willing to try it. So I'd say, yeah, people are probably eating less fruits and vegetables than they think, but more so I think it's the portion sizes Honestly, mm, I think yes. we're probably just eating a lot more or at least a little bit more food than we actually need. And so a lot of what we work on is helping kids and you know whole families to kind of get back to the basics of using the body's hunger cues rather than necessarily the amount of food in front of us to really decide how much to eat. There's some studies that show kids as young as three have actually lost that ability because we eat for so many other reasons, whether Uh, it's pressure to eat or social reasons or the food is there or whatever. So really trying to kind of get back to really listening to our bodies to know how much to eat and then trying to get more of those fruits and vegetables to get the nutrition and the fullness that comes from the fiber in those foods. For sure. And I'm sure you're probably familiar with Jill Castle who wrote Fearless Feeding. Yep. I love how her stuff is all about long-term, like you said, teaching a young child what is fullness, what is I'm satiated from this food and not making the food this battle so that it doesn't backfire until later we're overeating or we're craving these foods that aren't maybe as nutritious for us or healthy for us. 
Yes, that and this comes up a lot, especially if you have young kids with the vegetables, because a lot of families, when they have mealtimes together, it becomes very stressful because parents, of course, want their kids to eat their vegetables because you know they're healthy for them and the kids often will refuse. And then it gets into this whole big battle. And when you're looking at the long term, really, you know, Jill will talk about it. And it, it, Ellen Satter is the dietitian slash social worker who first developed it. But we all kind of follow this practice and really encourage this idea of what's called the vision of responsibility. And what that means is um, parents' job really is to decide what food to offer, trying to offer in that balanced way, when to offer it, so trying to have those structured mealtimes, and then where to offer it, trying to have kids and the whole family really sitting together at a kitchen table or someplace together without a lot of distractions, screens on, all that. And then letting the kids decide of what's offered, what they're going to eat, so not forcing them to eat any particular thing, and then how much they're going to eat so they can really listen to their bodies to know what to eat and not you know, what a parent or someone else thinks that they should be eating or how much we think, because we tend to overestimate by a lot how mm-hmm. much kids need. Yes. When we do this, if you do this consistently, over, you're looking at the process over the long term rather than the short term gain of like, did the kid eat the vegetables or not? The kids will come around. They do eventually eat the vegetables. They actually like them rather than hate them because they've been pressured to eat them. And you end up raising a healthy eater. And most importantly, in the moment, you end up having enjoyable family mealtimes where it's not stressful and fighting and something that you dread rather than something you look forward to. Definitely. I hear this so much from my families when they talk about their dinners. They go, well, I don't really want to have a family dinner because it's kind of horrible. I sit there and I try to force feed them and I say, "One, just take one bite or just eat some of this. And so I really try to work with parents on that as well. Just this idea that if you have family meals, be enjoyable and you make it so that one food isn't more highly desirable to a kid than another or isn't a payment in order to get to another food, mm-hmm. it won't backfire. For you when they get older. Yes. And importantly with that is because parents worry about like, oh, but they're not going to eat anything and mm-hmm. they're going to start. Don't cater to it. Don't give them a separate meal. If they go to bed hungry one or two nights, it's actually okay because they learn pretty quickly that I need to eat what's at the table or I'm going to be hungry. And, and you can be firm in that regard and it's okay. The kids will come around. And at the end of the day, it's just, you're much better off than that short-term gain of just negotiating with them to get them to eat anything. Absolutely. Okay. And you're talking about how this starts from the very, very beginning. And I know you have a new resource out on solid foods. And I know a lot of listeners have big questions about solid foods. Can you tell me more about the resource, about what people need to know as they're starting in on solid foods? Yes. I'm really excited to talk about this because we're talking, you know, first we're talking about like, oh, the picky eater who hates eating the vegetables. So let's back up. Let's back way up to even before your child is even eating any solid foods. So in the early stages, you know, breastfeeding or formula feeding. Well, one, or even actually, let me just back up even before that, when we're talking about mama's pregnant, because mm-hmm. we've learned from a lot of new research that shows a mom who eats a wide variety of foods when she's pregnant, eats lots of vegetables, eats all kinds of stuff. There's actually some of those tastes pass through the amniotic fluid and the baby's even getting some exposure very early on. And we know so with rad. more exposure, it's really cool. <laughs> with more exposure, we tend to just like things more. So you can even get your baby to kind of start liking vegetables by eating vegetables when you're pregnant. But then baby's born, if you're breastfeeding, those flavors pass in the breast milk too. So a mom who eats a variety of different fruits and vegetables, eating fish, eating spicy food, all that stuff. 
the, the flavors pass. So a breastfeeding baby actually tends to have a little bit more varied taste preferences than a formula fed baby. But don't worry, if you're formula feeding your baby, you can still totally prevent picky eating or a lot of it from the moment of starting solids. And we know that most babies, not every baby, but most babies are pretty open to trying everything mm-hmm. once they start solid foods. It's a rare baby. They do exist. I've seen them a lot, but there's a, it's a rare baby who like refuses a lot of different flavors early on, because mostly because the taste buds are very immature and they don't really taste badness that well. So something sure. bitter, sure. I should, not to say that it's bad, but bitter taste, we're not born liking bitter as much. We really like sweet and salty, but a bitter taste to a baby doesn't really seem to phase them. So if you give a baby, you know, Brussels sprouts, they're going to accept it much better than a toddler per se. But starting solid foods, so between about four and six months of age, depending on baby's readiness and whether they're being breastfed or not, there's a lot of right ways to start solid foods. So the resource that I developed with Dr. Tanaka, who's also a pediatrician, is just a guide for parents on starting solids, starting from that four to six months of age up to about 18 months as you're starting and advancing them. And howtoraisehealthyeaters.com, we have a, a free download really chapter that, that goes into this further. But early on, it doesn't really matter what you start with per se. Yeah, this is a big um, one. People ask this all the time. All does the time. Start with veggies or not. It does, yes. you can. What I will say though, we used to always say as pediatricians to start with rice cereal. And I say rice cereal is definitely an out. Okay, mm-hmm. You don't want rice cereal because we've learned that there's arsenic in rice. And that's bad for babies, bad for all of us. So don't do rice cereal. Yes. Infant oatmeal, fine. Avocado mushed up, fine. Banana mushed up, add a little breast milk. You want some shredded up kind of pureed type meat, go for it. It doesn't really make a difference what the food is, but you just want to start with a single ingredient and make sure it's soft enough and small enough that the baby won't choke on it. So we historically have said purees, which are great. Some people like to do baby led weaning which as long as the food is soft enough and small enough, the baby's not going to choke and the baby's ready to start solids. Okay. It's been shown to be fine. Yeah. I tell people I'm down for baby led weaning. As long as it's not a pork chop, they're going to choke on. You know what I mean? Exactly. (laughs) The the taste and texture part of baby led weaning and feeding your baby some rosemary that's all pureed up. Go for it, my friend. But please do not make your baby choke on a pork chop. Precisely. (laughs) That's really the biggest thing with baby led weaning is just make sure that they're not going to choke. And I would also say don't avoid pureed type texture altogether because babies who do just baby led weaning with more textured foods and never get purees, they're more likely to reject that puree type or that that thinner texture for other foods later on. So they might hate applesauce later, for example, which Mm -hmm. you want your baby to like everything. You want them to like all foods and you want them to like all textures, really. And the way to do that is repeated exposures, so early and often, with a variety of different tastes and textures. So all those bitter vegetables, spicy food, fish, all that stuff, you really want to get that on board for your child in the first year or so of them eating solid food, so six months to you know 18 months, multiple times, at least 15 times, because we know it can take 15 to 20 tries to really like something. And then once we've had those tr- exposures, we're much more likely to our taste buds change a bit and we're much more likely to like them later. So when your child gets into that picky phase that generally happens around 18 months, two years of age, nothing is new. Toddlers are picky to new things. They don't like to try anything new when they get to be, and we call it neophobia. So it's right. a classic milestone of a two-year-old. So you can avoid a lot of the stress that comes with that 
from start from the phase of starting solids and just giving those babies a variety of different tastes and textures. Being sure though to avoid honey, cow's milk, and anything really that has any added sugars or juice, things like that that babies probably will like just fine. But then they develop a taste for it. It makes them harder to get them to eat the the more healthy stuff later. Sure. And no Cheetos, you know, no processed fruits. <laughs> please, please no. Yes, yeah. And no. you know, studies show that babies at the year of about a, a year old tend to have the healthiest diets that they'll ever have in their entire life because parents do such a great job of offering babies a lot of vegetables and fruits and healthy unprocessed foods. And babies are very willing to accept those foods in the first, you know, when they're a year old. And then that neophobia kicks in and it stresses everyone out. And then a lot of times there's the catering to you know, kids like sweet and salty and processed stuff, but we don't need to offer that to them. For sure. Hi mama, guess what? Our book, The New Baby Blueprint is out in the world. We're so excited because we know it's going to help change the new motherhood experience. The bump said, they say motherhood doesn't come with a manual, but the new baby blueprint comes pretty close. You can find it wherever books are sold or check it out at modernmommydoc.com forward slash book. some parents too who will come in and they'll try avocado for the first time or they'll try usually not pears but trying to think of another food brussels sprouts for the first time and they'll say i tried it my baby didn't like it so to your point about how it takes multiple times to try a new food you don't have to force it on them over and over in that week but for sure a couple weeks later try it again it takes a while it takes a while. Repeated exposures, and you can try it in different ways. So maybe it was for babies. Most of the time, you're not, you know, you're not going to probably give them a lot of raw vegetables and young kids because there's the choking hazard. Mm-hmm. But as the kids are getting older, you know, some kids will hate cooked broccoli, but they'll like it as raw broccoli that's dipped in a dipping sauce. So you can try it in different ways. But even if you try it in the same way, give them a couple of weeks and just try again, especially yeah. babies, because they'll just open wide for the most part. And even if they spit it out again, it's okay. Don't make them eat anymore. Mm-hmm. But it's just touching the tongue, the exposure on the tongue, the taste buds change, and they'll come around to it later, almost always. How about allergenic foods? Because that's a new thing over the past couple of years that has completely made a 180. Yes. Great point. So we used to tell, you know, we used to tell pregnant moms, don't eat any foods that have peanut in them because your baby's going to have peanut allergy. And then when they're breastfeeding, don't, you know, avoid, avoid, and then don't give babies peanuts until they're a year old. We were so wrong. (laughs) So really good studies have come out now to show that actually earlier exposure to allergenic foods in particular, like peanuts, tree nuts, eggs, fish, even actually decreases a baby's risk of getting that food allergy later on. So when you're starting solid foods, whether it's four to six months, you know, you might try a a couple of foods that are not allergenic type foods for the first few, but then early on, you want to get that peanut powder, or you can even do peanut butter, just the unsugared kind, thin it out a little bit with breast milk or formula so the baby doesn't choke. But that exposure early on egg, it can be baked egg, it can be scrambled eggs, however, expose the baby so that you decrease the risk of allergies. Now, certainly... For those allergenic foods, if you notice like, ah, baby got hives or bad rash around her mouth because they had it the first time, then you want to talk to your pediatrician. Don't give the food again until you've evaluated it. But if you really want to avoid and prevent food allergies, the best way to do that is to offer those foods early on and often. And I tell families who are nervous about it, they ask me if they should come sit in my parking lot to do it. I say that's unnecessary. But I do say that if they're really feeling nervous, 
give those foods for the first time on a Monday morning at 9 a.m. versus on a Friday evening at 8 p.m. So that way I can help you. You can call and if you're a little bit nervous, our nurses can help you. All the offices are open, all that type of stuff. So I tell people for some peace of mind that if you're really feeling off about it, just wait until Monday morning. We're happy to assist you if you have problems. Exactly. And you know, the first exposure isn't usually the one that's the bad one. So you might, you know, they may have a rash, but they're probably not going to have anaphylaxis the very first time, whereas they might the second time. So do it on a Monday morning and also know like your baby may have a bit of a reaction to that food, but it probably isn't going to be a severe reaction initially. Mm -hmm. It would be the second or the third time or even the fourth time around for sure because it builds up in the system. Are there other misconceptions that you feel like families have a lot about solid foods that they talk to you a bunch about solid foods? So we, we, hit, we hit some of the highlights, but one is just that it ha- you have to start with rice cereal or something like that. And no, you don't. You can do pretty much anything for the most part. Mm-hmm. Another is about the allergenic foods, which we discussed. Baby led weaning comes up a lot because I think people are both sides of it. Some really want to do it and some are like, I just need to do purees. So I think it's really just kind of talking through that, but also really you want to have your baby get exposed to all tastes and textures eventually in that first year. I think also in that conversation, just like spicy food and fish, mm-hmm. stuff like that comes up. Parents are like, I can give them spicy food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, you can. It just give a little bit, you know, and see how they do. But, you know, children in India eat curry because everyone eats curry and it's spicy right. and that's the culture of it, right? So the more exposures we have, the more we start to like it. So things that you really like to eat, well, healthy things that you really like to eat. It's great to offer them to your baby eventually as well. And then we sort of hit on this, but just really juice, don't do it. Okay. Much better off giving the baby fruit and really forever kids don't need juice. So give them the fruit instead. You'll be much happier. They'll be much happier, healthier. Everybody wins. And also along those similar lines though, you can do water at six months. We didn't really talk about that Uh at all yet, but it comes up a lot with like when and how and what should I do with water? I generally recommend to give it in an open cup actually at six months. It helps with baby's fine motor development. So yeah, they're going to probably miss their mouth often, but it's water. So it's easy to clean up, just give a little bit, but it helps them to get that coordination. And by having water early on, it helps babies to like water later. So they will be totally fine with having that as their preferred drink alongside milk as they get older. I also see families confused about how much to give in the beginning. They have a misconception that the solid food replaces the breast milk or the formula early on. And I tell people it's really not till about nine months that we start to see a little bit more tipping point toward the solid foods where we want them doing finger foods and that type of thing. But they're really in the beginning, I consider it for taste and texture. Yeah, it generally is, especially at first when baby's just going to take maybe a spoonful. But a serving for a baby is about a tablespoon per year old they are. So it's actually quite a small amount of food. I often, there's lots of right ways to do this. I often recommend to do the food first and then follow it with breastfeeding uh-huh. or bottle uh-huh. and just let your baby decide how much they're going to take of everything. So offer them food. If they start to turn away, not interested, don't want any more. That's telling you I'm good offer them then the breast of the bottle. They'll take as much as they need and then they'll be full and they'll stop. Babies are really good generally at being able to regulate their intake in that way is if we're listening to their cues. The other thing I I see on Instagram and everywhere else are all of these companies. I don't want to, I don't want to name names for people, but all these companies where it's prepackaged baby food that people can buy. 
my sense is that this is overcomplicating something that could be really, really simple. Do you feel like that those things can be useful? Do you feel like it's making it too complicated? Yeah, the baby foods and the pouches and everything else. Yes. Yeah, because, you know, babies can eat what the rest of the family is eating. Yes. You want to be looking out for choking hazards and you want to offer new foods for the first time by themselves so you can see if baby has a reaction to it at all. But other than that, especially if you're, you know, I guess if you're, if you eat pretty healthfully, you don't want to give your baby, like we said, you don't want to give them like highly processed foods or anything like that. Yeah. But if you're pretty healthy, balanced eaters at your house, then you just give babies the same foods that you're eating and just a little softer and smaller amounts to start with. Sure. You can do baby foods if it's easier, but I would caution about the pouches because that does come up a lot. Yes. Because people feel good about them because they have vegetables in them. And they do to some extent have vegetables in them, but they usually have vegetables paired with some kind of fruit or sweet taste. And you can't actually taste what the vegetable itself actually tastes like. So you're not going to taste the taste of spinach or the taste of you know broccoli or whatever in that pouch. And so the child is not getting those early exposures that teaches them to like the food later yes. on. And that is the point. The point is less about they get it in their system early on. The point is more that they like it. <laughs> yeah. So you want them to experience both the taste and the texture of the actual food. And we also know that when food is in a liquid, a more liquid form, it actually makes us feel less full than when it's in a form where we have to chew and swallow it. So there is a risk over time of having increased caloric intake or to eating more than is needed from a lot of pouches, which could contribute to gaining weight too quickly. And then later on having concerns about weight and growth and stuff like that. For sure. And just to encourage people, if they're going on their solid food journey and they're thinking it's so much work to prepare the food, there are tons of little glass, glass jars you can buy that you can store this stuff in your freezer, in your refrigerator, so you can make it in batches. You don't need a complicated baby food maker for this. You could just steam the vegetable and then puree it down with a hand blender or a food grinder and then, or mash it up with a fork really, 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 really super, super thin or with a spoon and then add breast milk or formula to it. So it doesn't have to be more work exactly. to do it yourself. It can be, it can be simple. In fact, in our guide, the starting solids guide, we have a lot of hacks, we call them really Mm -hmm. starting solids and ways to just make this really simple, you know, making the food and throwing it into the ice cube trays, into the freezer, freeze it, and then throw it into a freezer bag. And you've already got your individual serving size. You just warm it up and you're good to go later on. So there's, there's lots of things, as you mentioned, that can make this easy because we, we were parents, we know we're busy, we're working, we don't have time for all the stuff that, you know, takes forever to do, we get it. So really, we can keep this quite simple and actually easier than doing lots of the packaged foods, if we just keep it basic, and don't get too caught up in everything out there and all the gadgets and everything else that, you know, the the, the, make, the manufacturers of those products, definitely, especially as new parents, they want you to buy all this stuff. It makes it seem mm-hmm. like it's so cool, but you can really be simple and get stuff done much more quickly. And your baby's super healthy as well. Definitely. And the other thing I would say is when we went out to restaurants in the beginning, I made it a point that I would order adult food, maybe not in the early, early, early stages of solid foods, but for sure, once we got to finger foods at around nine months, eight, nine months, that I would just order adult meals. I made it a point not to order the kid meals because those are almost always sugary or fried or more processed, not as healthy. And then I would just pick foods that then I could smash down or give to my kids. So like a little piece of salmon or 
broccoli that I like smushed up or the avocado or shredded cheese or parmesan, you know, all those things. So I would encourage you when you go out to eat, there's a whole industry that's built around foods for kids, like a kid menu. And they're almost always not very healthy. (laughs) Exactly. And it helps us too. If we're going to be sharing some of our food with the kids, then it helps with portioning sizes and everybody's getting a great portion. You save some money because you're not spending extra money on the kids' foods. And you're also a really effective role model and modeling eating those foods because they're basically eating the same thing that you are and they see you doing it. And even though it doesn't feel like it in the moment, the kids are watching from a very young age and they do want to be like their parents, even if they don't always you know, express that to their parents when they're younger, but also when they're older. For sure. Thank you so much. This was a wealth of information. Will you tell listeners where they can find you on the web? We will put in the show notes a link to your resource so that way they can access it there. But tell us where we can find you. Yeah. So Dr. Natalie Muth, M-U-T-H.com is my website and links to all of the resources that we discussed are included there. I'm also at Dr. Natalie Muth on Twitter and Dr. Natalie Muth at Instagram. And on Facebook, I run a page called How to Raise Healthy Eaters, where I post a lot of these tips as well. And we have a community to kind of talk about it more too. Awesome. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hey, hey, hey. If you loved this episode, make sure to subscribe to the Modern Mommy Doc podcast so you're automatically notified every time we have powerful information, inspiration, and amazing guests to share with you. We would also be so honored if you shared the Modern Mommy Doc podcast with your friends by snapping a screenshot of this episode and posting it with hashtag Modern Mommy Doc so we can spread the word and help more mamas win at parenting without losing themselves. Thanks for being part of our community.